When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is a show that I have been waiting to do, I think, more than two and a half months. I'm so excited. Uh, I did report to you a few months ago that I went to a very special conference in New York City, and it dealt with issues of aging and the question of whether aging is a disease. Uh, It was called the Age-Related Disease Conference, but it went a lot further than that. And there were many impressive people who spoke, and one or two are going to be on our show in uh, weeks to come. But I could not wait. I was like a groupie. I ran over to Dr. Michael Lustgarten, uh, and he is with a he's a scientist, and he is with the Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging at Tufts University. I called him, but he doesn't know this, the Dwayne Johnson, the Rock of Medicine, because uh, he knows how to chisel himself, and he knows how to actually live younger. No joke, not by selling stuff, but by doing the right thing. And I wanted him on the show. I will tell you about his book. It was a wonderful book. And we'll tell you just about his work and what you can do and how it could really change your life. So thank you, Dr. Lusgarten, for being with us today. Sounds good. Thanks, Adrian. Just as a quick thing, I did see that you called me the, the Dwayne Johnson, the rock uh, of medicine. I retweeted that uh, just a few minutes ago. So. Yeah, you know, at, at one point I thought Schwarzenegger, and then I thought, no, he's too nice. He's too kind. Uh, that's more of a of a model for for who you are and 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 what you do. So let's let's jump sure. into this. We are going to talk yeah. about some medical issues like sarcopenia, like microbial uh, microbial issues of the gut. But I want to everyone to understand that you are one of those few scientists that not only talk the talk but you walk the walk. You live your own life in a way that you feel will reverse aging or at least make aging slower, slower, slower aging. I'd like you to tell us about that. Sure. So when you said that, uh, it's, that I feel will lead me uh, towards that road, I try to minimize how I feel about it and try to go objectively with the data. So mm-hmm. I track my nutrition every day. I track uh, various aspects of my fitness, whether it's resting heart rate, strength, and, and other aspects of function like heart rate variability. Um, and uh, I track my blood, uh, you know, sometimes up to six times a year. And with all three of those, uh, I think it's possible to not just optimize how you look on the outside in terms of being lean and physically fit, but also optimize your fitness on the inside so that you can potentially delay aging and maximize longevity and minimize disease risk. So uh, my, my system is basically track my nutrition, track my blood test variables, and then based on what I see in my blood, uh, I know how uh, key uh, analytes in the blood should look during aging. So I try to tweak my diet and tweak my exercise regime so that I optimize my markers of internal health. Right. So let me tell you that uh, you gave us a very impressive statistic about how old you are, not chronologically, but biologically. And one of the things that we talk about a lot here uh, is that numbers don't matter because that's your birth date. Everybody knows their birth date. And unfortunately, there's a lot of laws that deal with your birth date, including Social Security. But your biological age is so much more important to your longevity. So give, impress us a little bit because I was very impressed. 
So, so I want to make the key distinction right from the start. So the, the, this idea of biological age, it's not the same thing as what's been pitched 15, 20 years ago. I remember uh, there's a scientist here in Boston, Tom Pearls, and they had these simple, simplistic questionnaires. Granted, for the time, they weren't so simplistic, but in hindsight, you know, 10, 15 years later, later, they are relatively simplistic. That would give you a measure of how old you are based on just a simple questionnaire. You know, do you smoke? How physically active are you? When I talk about my biological age now, it's not based on a simple questionnaire. It's based on actual blood test measurements. And uh, there's a group called In Silico, uh, In Silico Medicine that published a couple of papers looking at uh, uh, where they derive biological age from a, a cohort up to 200,000 people. So these are very big sample sizes. And uh, they were able to identify 19 blood test markers that were able to predict biological age uh, or to correlate those 19 biomarkers with biological age pretty strongly. So a, a strong correlation would be a correlation of one. So their correlation between the 19 markers with biological age was 0.8. Now, it's not perfect. There's room for improvement, but that's what they found. So I, I started off using that, uh, those 19 blood test markers, and you can get these markers when you just go to the doctor on a simple uh, chemistry panel. This isn't, these aren't anything advanced. It's a $35 test, uh, so it's relatively cheap. And I didn't measure this one time. I wanted to get a very accurate measure of where my biological age is. And so I measured it. Uh, I think I've done it somewhere uh, close to 20 times now in the last four years. So I've got a lot of measurements that can, get a, that can more closely approximate what my biological age is. And based on those data, um, it's uh, 29. Now, I'm chronologically 46. So that's a big drop and it's a, a youthful biological age. Now, it's not just the biological age uh, as a number is important. What they also found in their papers, the in silico group, was that people who reported a younger biological age had also a less risk of death from all diseases. So uh, it's both, you know, biologic youth and minimizing disease risk. Now, as another, just as another quick thing about biological age, also at the ending aging diseases conference, uh, Morgan Levine, who's a scientist at Yale, she, she, she um, talked about uh, one of her biological age metrics that she's also published, um, and she did. She actually talked about using epigenetic, uh, uh, you know, methylation-based tools for quantifying biological age. But in one of her other papers, she showed another separate nine biomarker panel to actually better predict biological age than the panel that I was using over at Aging.ai, which is free free software that anybody can use. So uh, I have one measurement. Uh, and that actually includes some different stuff than the 19. It includes inflammation, which you'd have to order separately from the 19 that you can get on the, on the standard chem screen. But nonetheless, I have that one measurement that includes my C-reactive protein plus the eight other measurements. And uh, based on that, my biological age was 36, which still isn't as good as 29. But I would predict that with more measurements, I'd probably see my biological age gravitating more close to uh, where I saw with the aging uh, AI, AI data. And as just a one last note on, on Morgan Levine's um, biological age predictor, her correlation between the nine predictors, and actually it was nine predictors and chronological age in her model, was 0.94, which is closer to the one. So it's potentially a stronger way to predict biological age. Uh, so yeah, I use these two tools to try to optimize my internal and external health and um, when, I, my goal is to live longer than anyone that's ever lived before, and hopefully I can use the best available science to, to do that. 
Well, you know, we're talking about great motivation. In another segment, I do want to talk about the motivation for living longer. But right now, I want people to learn how to do that. As long as they're already motivated for it, the first thing you want to do is you want to read Dr. Lesgartner's book, Dr. Lesgartner's book, and it is called Microbial Burden, a Major Cause of Aging and Age-Related Disease. So what he's really going to concentrate on is nutrition, uh, and it is part of the issue of the gut. We talk about that a lot, and it's something that is very hard to pin down. It's even very hard to get a doctor who is working uh, in that arena. With regard to biomarkers, let me put this into what I will call our own layman English. Biomarkers simply will tell you there's a lot to say about it, but it'll, it will tell you biologically uh, certain statistics about your own self. And these blood tests, and now I want to go back to you, doctor, these blood tests, which have 19 different uh, markers and uh, some of the new ones that you, would, you just told us about. When you go to the doctor, and I did this. I did this before your show. I went to my doctor and I said, I want a blood test. And I will tell you right now that their basic Medicare-covered blood test did not give me all the information. So can you be a little bit more specific about people who want this particular blood test? Let's call it the $35 blood test. What they ask their doctor for specifically? Yeah, it's interesting that your that your uh, physician did not include all those blood tests. So it's usually on the standard blood chemistry screen. Um, um, so if your uh, if your if your if your primary physician doesn't do all of them, and uh, you know it's you can just always pinpoint the ones that they that they aren't including. But from my experience, when when I've gone to my primary physician, they um, it's relatively easy, but yeah, I, I've had that experience too, where they, you know, leave out certain key things. But I should say that these blood tests, these, you know, up to 20 blood tests over four years, I mostly did not get these done with my physician. You can order blood test kits online, and I'm not sponsored by them. I'm not paid by them to say this. I use them because they're they're pretty much uh, they do a good job of of measuring my blood. I use mm-hmm. uh, uh, the um, standard blood chemistry screen. It's also known as the CDC from uh, lifeextension.org, and that's the $35 test, and that actually includes the 19 biomarkers that are on that aging.ai uh, um, um, biological age. And actually, it, it has, I think, something like 40 biomarkers uh, that, that are measured. So um, I'm, I'm actually working on book number two that goes through where your biomarkers should be in terms of optimal health during aging. So We'll be talking a little bit more about that, and that's, that's a very good lead. And yes. uh, we will be back. That doesn't bother me, not even. For my age, da 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 da, da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit, cause I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age, da 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 da. And hello, 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 this is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. You can hear all of our shows archived at our website, generationboldradio.com. You can also at adrianberg.com let me know who you want to hear, what you want to hear about, and where you'll be. Because I am the next even month in so many states at different conferences. One of the major ones will be in Washington, D.C. I know we have a lot of listeners in that area, and that is the Metabesity Conference. 
uh, in D.C. in October. And if you're a doctor, take a look at that. It's a very, very worthwhile thing to take a look at if you're in the field of aging. Now, speaking of the field of aging, we have a leading scientist in research in the field of aging uh, with us right now, uh, Dr. Michael Luscarton. And I just want to give you his website before we do anything. It's Michael, spelled the normal way, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, L-U-S-T-G-A-R-T-E-N.com. And we will also have that on our website, of course. And he is a scientist at Tufts University at the Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging. So his research when it comes to nutrition is specifically about aging. And he sees a problem. The problem is our gut. He's written a book about it. I'll tell you all about that in a minute. But I want to go to the doctor right now. Uh, Why are you concentrating on uh, uh, microbes in the gut or microbial health? And what does that have to do, actually, with the science of better aging? All right. So to, so to jump into that, I should say that uh, about five years ago, I didn't care about microbes, bacteria, viruses, fungi. I didn't care about any of it. It didn't, wasn't on my radar at all. I started off studying um, blood predictors of muscle mass and function in older adults. And when I was doing that, I published several papers that identified uh, bacterial metabolites in the blood that were either positively or negatively associated with muscle mass and function in older adults. So that led me into this idea, well, maybe the gut microbiome is playing some role on sarcopenia. And based on that, I was able to get some studies funded. And uh, as you saw at the conference, I published, uh, recently published some of that data on the role of uh, the gut microbiome on muscle strength. But um, it's, there are, it's an emerging field right now, the role of the gut microbiome on the gut muscle axis, uh, muscle mass and function, uh, where uh, three papers and mine, so four papers so far this year, have identified microbes or a role for the gut microbiome on muscle mass and function. So it's an emerging, a rapidly emerging field. Um, so now in terms of nutrition that potentially can optimize that, um, the most obvious place to start would be with dietary fiber. And the reason for that is because our humans don't have the enzymes to digest dietary fiber. Dietary fiber passes uh, into your large intestine, and then bacteria in your large intestine convert those, uh, those fibers into short-chain fatty acids, so basically very short, little fat that you don't, don't normally get from diet, uh, with the exception of something, say, like uh, butter, which may have small amounts of the short-chain fatty acid butyrate, but very low amounts compared to um, what you could convert from fiber. So then once these bacteria make short-chain fatty acids, those fatty acids go from the inside of the intestine into the intestinal cells, which then our intestinal cells, the mitochondria in particular, use those short-chain fatty acids to make energy. That energy is used to improve gut barrier function, which is important for keeping stuff that was in the uh, inside of the intestine from going into the blood. And, uh, that's important because during aging, uh, that, uh, that barrier, the gut barrier, actually decreases. So if you have a low-fiber diet, your body won't be able to have uh, optimal intestinal barrier function. More stuff that's inside the intestine will leak into the blood, potentially activating inflammation. Inflammation does all kinds of nasty things to our muscles, our brain, all of the tissues in our blood. So an important place to start in terms of optimizing uh, health and longevity is to optimize uh, dietary fiber intake. That's the core uh, theme of the book. And I should also say I didn't start off with that uh, idea and that approach. This is the idea and the uh, that has evolved 
through the literature. I basically changed my diet after going down this road to have a super high fiber diet where I average close to 100 grams of fiber a day, triple the RDA, um, so that I can have optimal gut barrier function and uh, you know, improve systemic function. So uh, you're listening now, and you know that there's a tremendous amount of information, both technical and practical. And I want to just give you the website again. That uh, That is the doctor or scientist website, Michael Lusgarten, L-U-S-T-G-A-R-T-E-N.com. And uh, again, this is not coming from the world of selling supplements. This is coming from the world of science research, uh, both in the laboratory and personally. So now let's get practical for a second. Uh, every morning I take my flax seeds and I put them in my yogurt, all right? I take my chia seeds and I put it in my smoothie. Uh, but I don't think I have anything compared to the amount uh, that you're putting into your body. And is there anything contraindicated? And then these are the ways that you're suggesting people get the dietary fiber. So uh, flaxseed can be a great way to get uh, increase your fiber. But the foundation of my diet is through vegetables. In terms of fiber content per calorie, nothing beats the fiber density of vegetables. And I have a uh, post on this on my blog where I compared the fiber and not just fiber density, the nutrient density of vegetables compared to whole grains. Um, calorie, for ca- per, calorie per calorie, nothing beats vegetables uh, for fiber and nutrient density. So when I eat vegetables, I'm not eating a few florets of broccoli. I'm eating a pound or more, actually, sorry, a kilogram of more Actually, yesterday, I had 1,100 grams of broccoli in the morning in addition to other stuff. So I'm eating huge volumes of vegetables uh, to get this fiber goal. But I should mention I'm not vegan. I'm not a vegetarian. I do eat some meat. I do eat some dairy. I do eat some eggs. But at the end of the day, for me, it's more than just a simple dietary ideology where I say go high fiber. For me, that's what works. And I know that because, like I said, I track my diet and I track my circulating biomarkers. If a lower fiber diet was able to optimize my biological age, then I'd, pr- I'd promote that too. But for me, what works best for me is a very high fiber diet um, in terms of optimizing gut health and biological age. So let me just tell everybody that uh, when, when, Michael, when Dr. Michael Lesgarten speaks, people listen. So uh, also remember that he's a scientist and part of his experiment is himself, which is what makes him so unique in the scientific world. And I will tell you that his overall, as I'm reading his book, and you should all read his book, Microbial Burden, uh, a major cause of aging and age-related disease, easy to get on Amazon. I put it on my Kindle. It was a pleasure to read on the plane uh, the other day, and I learned a lot. But the fact is that his overarching words are know thyself. He's very much like the oracle at, at, at Delphi, know thyself. And he knows himself because he keeps testing him. So this doesn't mean you go out and, and you do this. But I tell you what I did do, doctor. I went out and I bought a pound of carrots because oh, nice. you said so. <laughs> that was the only but reason wait, I, I don't say, even want yeah. to. We're going to come back in a couple that. of seconds. And I, and I do want to talk about that, how we can, as a practical map, put some of yeah. what you have learned. And you've learned things that are very impressive and work for most people to, to different degrees, uh, into our diets properly. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the idea of nutrition as we get older because they're even changing that concept when it comes to surgery. Used to tell you not to eat. That's changing. We'll be back in just a yep. moment. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for 
for my age. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit. Cause I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da 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 da. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the fountain of truth, the fountain of truth about aging. And one of those truths, which most people do not believe, is that most of your aging is in your control. In 2008, when I wrote my first book on aging, one-third was um, genetic, and 70% was in your control. That surprised a lot of people. Today, there's even greater control, because we even know that environment can affect our genes. So there is so much research going on, and in the center of that research are, I would say, a handful, a handful of real scientists who are not working for a supplement company uh, and just, you know, being and endorsing this pill that's $40 and the next pill that's $60 a bottle. And one of those people who are really, really in the forefront of this is a scientist, a true scientist doing research in lab, research studies, research on himself, and that's our guest, Michael Lusgarten. Uh, and the doctor is with the Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging at uh, Tufts University. The author of many, I think 2,000, he's mentioned 2,000 articles, but you don't have to read 2,000 articles. You could just read Microbial Burden, a Major Cause of Aging and Age-Related Diseases, and you can get that on Amazon, and it, you, it'll tell you a lot. It'll tell you a lot about the issues of your gut and aging, but what I want to do now, doctor, is get as practical as can be. I really did get carrots. I really do have a question because you suggest so much in a pound, you know, pounds of, of vegetables. Is juice okay or does it have to be the pulp itself? And what other practical things can we do at home? Sure. So um, just as a quick aside, uh, what the, the reason I, I eat a, about a pound of carrots every day is because I noticed a strong positive correlation between um, metabolites that are found in carrots, such as alpha and beta carotene, with my uh, circulating levels of a protein called albumin. Now, albumin is an important protein because it decreases with age. And inflammation, it's, it's kind of an indirect marker of elevated inflammation. So inflammation has been reported to be a major cause of aging. I'm trying to keep my inflammation low, so I would want to keep my albumin levels high. So I noticed that by looking for correlations between my diet with my albumin levels, I noticed that higher amounts of carrots seem to be positively correlated with my albumin levels. So that's one reason I go for a pound of carrots a day because they're high in things that may be positively impacting my albumin levels. Now, that doesn't mean I would say everyone should go out and get a pound of carrots. There are other ways to get alpha and beta carotene. Uh, For example, butternut squash uh, or uh, uh, orange sweet potatoes. These are also great ways to get uh, alpha and beta carotene. But I should also mention that the mechanisms that may be improving my albumin levels may be related to carrots for me, but for other people, there may be other things that uh, affect that. So what I would uh, highly suggest that people go out and do is test. You know, it may be it may be problematic or painful or or you know uh, tiresome to get their blood tested a few times a year and try to optimize that. But I'd argue that the potential cost and and health benefits for like you said, knowing thyself through repeated testing will be far greater than 
sticking to, oh, well, Michael Lusgarden does this stuff in his diet, and this is what he does, so this is what I'll do. I mean, it, it truly is a know thyself and, you know, uh, find out what works best for the individual. And it doesn't have to be what I do. It can be, you know, what their biomarkers say to do for the person's, uh, for their own health. Now, in terms of practical things that I do, what I seem to work for me, it's not just a pound of carrots. I also shoot for relatively close to a pound of red sweet bell peppers every day. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is they are all stars for vitamin C. I shoot for about 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day, which if you compare it to the RDA, the RDA is 60 milligrams. So I'm 16 times higher than the RDA. And I also have a blog on vitamin C, why I think that the RDA should be way higher than it is. Um, so I about a pound of red bell peppers uh, every day. And then, as I mentioned, uh, I also have big volumes of vegetables. So when I eat broccoli or when I eat uh, cauliflower, for example, I'll normally have 1,100 grams, more than a kilogram of both of these vegetables, in addition to other things in, in the meal. And uh, all four of these vegetables, for me, carrots, red peppers, uh, big volumes of uh, broccoli and cauliflower, not only do they contribute massive amounts of fiber, for example, broccoli, the amount of broccoli in that one sitting is 30 grams of fiber, 30 grams of protein. So this is like the best protein bar that you could – well, I shouldn't say the best protein bar, but it's one of the best nutrient-dense foods that you can eat. So uh, from the practical side, those are things that I do in terms of uh, diet. Um, I've got also several other blog posts on I, – I reported 100 days of my dietary data so people can go and see my average dietary intake and the foods that I ate during that, that, those 100 days. Uh, and I should have several posts uh, more on that in the future to, to, to update just to see so people can see how I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. And as a third point, the idea of pills versus whole food. So I try to yes. get all of my nutrition from – from whole food. I track, as I mentioned, I track my nutrition every day and uh, I shoot for at least the recommended dietary allowance, at least the RDA every day for all the nutrients. And as I mentioned on my blog, I have several articles that show that some nutrients should be way higher than the RDA. So uh, that's what I shoot for every day, optimizing my nutrient density. Now, pills can't replace whole food. And if you think about whole food, it it, it's different from a pill in that it won't have one nutrient. It'll have thousands of nutrients. So um, considering that we, you know, we evolved to eat whole food, I try to minimize pills as much as possible. That said, I take vitamin D in the winter here in Boston because my body won't make it. And I do take a B6, B12 methylfolate sack because I have potentially some genetic issues with elevated levels of homocysteine. Elevated levels are associated with uh, stroke risk cardiovascular disease, dementia, all that. These are not things I'm interested in. So uh, I found a way to reduce it through diet. So I may actually remove that supplement to see if the supplement does really anything at all besides minor change. But other than that, uh, I'm not taking – and I take levothyroxine because I've had thyroid issues for you know, my whole life. But other than that, it's from whole foods. Uh, no vitamin D in the summer here in Boston because I get it from the sun. So this is very fascinating because, of course, every day, because of what I do as media, I'm bombarded by companies that want uh, me to help them sell supplements. And I do. Uh, the average boomer, by the way, takes 13 supplements a day. That, now, that is the average boomer that is interested in their longevity. And who knows, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the actual potency. But we are talking to a scientist. Uh, he's talking to us in scientific terms. And he's asking us as a practical matter to know ourselves. He talks about, and if you missed it in, in the earlier segment, uh, taking a blood test, with, which is a very standard blood test. But if your doctor or your Medicare doesn't cover that particular 
blood test, um, I am told by Dr. Lesgarten that Life Extension Institute for $35 will let you do that. It's a, not very much different than the Ancestry.com or these other things that, that we're doing uh, by mail these days. So take a look at that and judge for yourself where you want to be. Very important, though, is to understand that this is science-based, not sales-based. And that's hard to find. Now, before we go on, I just want to ask, do a little bit of a drop-in uh, about the Wander Club. It's one of our great charities, and I want everybody to know about it. And it's kind of brand new for this show. So let's hear a little bit about the Wander Club. Do you love to travel? Would you like to own a charm inscribed with the name of each country, state, national park you visited? It gives me a thrill to wear a T-shirt or look at my charm set and remember the wonderful places I've traveled and plan my next trip. Join the Wander Club with me, and you'll have all this while feeding an orphan child who needs your help. It's a beautiful, fun way to give back, and it only costs $4 per charm. Yep, wear your travel bragging rights on your keychain or necklace and feed a hungry child. Visit GenerationBoldRadio.com now and join. So, Doctor, now I want to get to the real reason I wanted you on the show. Uh, sarcopenia. sarcopenia. Yeah. Ugh, I know. You know, um, you just heard a little bit about the Wander Club. I travel a lot, and I am training to climb Mount Fuji. So I took a picture of myself uh, because I want to put on social media to show that a 71-year-old could look good. Well, you know, I have sarcopenia, and I, I hate it. Explain first, before the end of this segment, what is sarcopenia? Just the definition, and we'll really talk about it in the next. Uh, so uh, sarcopenia is the age-related loss of muscle mass and function. Uh, it pretty much happens to everyone, um, even athletes. Uh, so even elite athletes, masters athletes, they lose function and some muscle mass with age. Uh, the best available things that we can do to, to minimize that is uh, – you know, consistent exercise training week to week for a long period of time that can slow the rate of muscle mass loss and function over time. Uh, but it still happens. But all we can do is it's work effect, our, you know, work yeah, our best. It's a fact of life. Slow it down. Yeah, it, it is. But you can slow it. It's a fact of life. But I, I'm going to talk about that because I want to do that. Does, and you should too, by the way, because it's really what makes us look older. It's not our wrinkles. It's, it's our sarcopenia. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. I'm inappropriate for my age. You may think that I'm full of it. That doesn't bother me, not even a bit. Because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. Now, if you want to look at an industry that's making billions, not millions, but billions, it's the cosmetic or beauty industry, and the sales are going to the baby boomers, although younger people and younger, ever younger, are uh, getting interested in Botox and that sort of thing. We want to know how to take care of our floppy arms, uh, what's going on with our chin, the hollows in our cheeks. There are very few scientists, and I'm watching, who really are looking at this 
issue of sarcopenia. And our guest today, Dr. Uh, Michael Lusgarten, the author of so many articles, 2,000 he's named in, but one book, and we're waiting impatiently, by the way, for the second book. His book is Microbial Burden, A Major Cause of Aging and Age-Related Diseases. He is his own experiment as well as controlled scientific experiments, and he's teaching us really how to uh, help with our own um, with our own issues of aging and how to get our own biomarkers through very simple, inexpensive blood tests a couple of times a year. And yet, at the end of the last segment, when I asked him about sarcopenia, he said, well, happens to everybody, uh, even athletes. So I didn't want to hear that answer, doctor. <laughs> I wanted to hear like huh. I could have prunes or I could eat a fruit and I'll be okay. But is there yeah. anything I can do other than to, to make this better or even to reverse some of it? Definitely. So as a quick correction, I haven't written 2,000 articles. I've, I think I'm up to 25 where I'm either, either the first or the last author, and uh, I've contributed. But 2,000 is how many times my papers have been cited. So basically oh, other scientists okay. citing my work even in, better. Their, in their papers. Okay. So Even better. Cause uh, yeah, you know why? Because there's nobody else to cite. What you do oh, is well, so well. unique. It's true. True. All right, go all right, ahead. Well, Let, let's hear about this. All right. So then in terms of sarcopenia, uh, there's a few factors. One is um, whereas sarcopenia focuses on muscle mass and physical function and the loss with time, an important uh, variable in there is body composition. So I strive to be lean consistently year to year. If you're gaining weight, uh, you're basically uh, you're you're basically encouraging your body to have a systemic milieu that promotes the loss of muscle mass and function during aging. Being overweight or obese, and I know you're not either of those, but being overweight or obese can make it easier to lose muscle mass and function during aging. So if you're an elite athlete, you're you know as I mentioned, your your function will be higher than someone who doesn't do exercise training. So even if the elite athlete is going to slowly decline with age and have muscle mass loss and functional loss, they're still higher than the average sedentary person. So I'll take that. I'll take that bet. So there are things we can do. We can consistently train, you know, whether it's one time a week or two times a week or three times a week, do some training, whether, you know, it's with weights combined with some cardiovascular. Look, I walk, I'm not running on a treadmill. Uh, I'm, I'm walking, you know, 10 to 15 plus miles a week and based on that, my resting heart rate is pretty close to athlete, you know, elite athlete heart rate. My resting heart rate is lower than 50, which is close to elite athletes who have resting heart rates around 40. So even just walking uh, an hour a day can get you very close to having improved cardiovascular fitness, which should slow some functional loss with time. Now, also, I also lift weights and uh, sometimes vigorously and sometimes, you know, uh, less vigorously. But just showing my body consistent weight training week after week three, four times a week, uh, week after week, year after year, I'm slowing the muscle mass loss with age and continuing my functional fitness. Because, for example, uh, I do pull-ups as a part of my, my fitness routine. I'm doing 11, which isn't 13, what I was doing 20 years ago. But 11 versus 13 is not too far away. And I'm still working on getting closer to 13. Uh, and if you pressed me hard enough, maybe I could get 13. So have I really aged in terms of my function over the last 20 years? So um, now third, in terms of diet, uh, and this goes back to the personalized approach to health that I, that I talk uh, about. And, uh, you know, 
not uh, and actually before I get into the diet, so exercise does something similar to diet in terms of the gut microbiome. Exercise has been shown to improve and increase levels of the bacteria that produce these short-chain fatty acids that improve barrier function that potentially reduce inflammation. So whereas diet can improve these bacterial levels that make these short-chain fatty acids, exercise can do the same thing. And even better is if you're exercising consistently and eating a diet that gets you high levels of these short-chain fatty acids, that would predict to have the greatest gut health in addition to all the other benefits of exercise and a well-balanced, nutrient-dense diet. So, um, and as a fourth, fourth note, so I, I used to, in my talks, I used to put the image and uh, philosophy of Jack Lane. I'm sure you know who Jack Lane is. Oh, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Adrian. Yeah, so his, yep. his motto was eat real food and exercise, and he thought that was going to get him to immortality. Now, he lived longer than his parents by, by about 25 years. Uh, but he died at 95, and it was a quick, quick, you know, relatively quick death. He was fit, fit-ish up until about 90, and then he, his fitness and health rapidly deteriorated up until 95. But I'm not sure if Jack Elaine tracked his nutrition or tracked his circulating biomarkers. Well, he was a pioneer. It, yeah, it was the early days, 100%. you know, it, it, very different. Yeah. So when you think about the next level of fitness, it can't be just eat real food and exercise, and that's where I think I take it to another level. Uh, or a, a little bit of a higher level, it's, I think the, the tracking your internal biomarkers of health and then tailoring your diet and exercise regime to optimize your internal fitness in addition to your external fitness, I think that's immensely important. Um, and that's and you know what? slow. Sarcopenia. And I think that should help slow. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, what bothers me, and we have just a minute, and then I'll tell a very quick little story. Um, what bothers me is that we are not getting this information from our doctors, and it could be so preventative that it could save millions, maybe billions, in, um, in real health costs. It is very difficult to look. You're living the life. You're doing it every single day. We could do that, too. We could get our biomarkers, and we could see what our optimal exercise is for us, and people with money can get coaches to do it for them and so on. Yeah. But for us, for the average person, it is something that we don't know how to do easily, and it isn't a hard thing to do. It's just that we have no training on this kind of thing, and instead we're consistently yep. getting messages of buy this, buy this pill, buy this pill, and you'll be fine, or take this supplement. But I had to tell yeah. you very quickly that my, my friend sent me a birthday card. I'll be 71, and uh, it said eat good food and exercise, and Inside is a picture of me saying, oh, I thought you said wear nice shoes and accessorize. (laughs) I have to tell you, that's much easier. What I wanted to talk about now for a while is how I first ran across you and your presentation. And that was at a conference about age-related diseases. But the truth is, the people that were there, and I don't know if this is true of you, and that's why I'm asking here, uh, would like aging to be considered a disease. And my take on it was that the reason for this is to get better funding to go after issues of aging and how we age uh, and how we die, as opposed to looking specifically at cancer or heart disease. Now, do you think this is going to happen? Is it something you think should happen? Is this just a construct for funding, or is aging a disease in your own mind? Yeah, so... Uh, two things. Well, one quick thing first. So uh, just in terms of the uh, 
idea of, you know, everybody trying to sell pills and cosmetics and all that, it's easier to take a pill uh, than it is to cook your own food or to measure your own blood or to, to not exercise. But you can't outrun a bad diet. And you can't outrun not exercising with pills. So that, I just wanted to put that out there. So then, too, uh, in terms of your, your question, I actually wrote a paper that's published in Frontiers in Genetics uh, Journal called Classifying Aging as a Disease, the Role of Microbes. And if you, if you look at the uh, groups, the research groups that are trying to get aging classified as a, disease, as a disease, and you're right, this is so that research funding can potentially increase because when you classify something as a disease, there's more research funds that are available for that. Nobody's looking at the role of microbes and microbial burden on the aging process, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. Uh, and actually, I wrote that book three years ago. And this idea that aging is uh, impacted by microbes there isn't less data. There's actually more data on that now, and it's an idea that's going to continue to grow until it's a, a very dominant theme in science. That's going to take time, though. But I'd argue that if aging is classified as a disease, scientists have to focus on that there is a microbial component, and uh, unfortunately, that idea is not popularized at all, hmm. except for well, me you know, we, and a few other scientists. Yeah. Well, uh, in the body of the show um, – I already said a couple of segments ago that the reason that you've been quoted 2,000 times is there's nobody else, there's nobody else to quote. And I, uh, I realize now that I was not so wrong about that. Uh, when, and we'll finish now with uh, this question. When's the next book, seriously, uh, that you're so, working so, on now? When, we, could it, when can we expect it? So uh, for people that are chomping at the bit to get my next book, which, as I mentioned, is going to be on uh, circulating biomarkers, how they change with age, and what's optimal during aging. Like, so it's not, it's not just the reference range. Like if you get a you know, pick-up blood test variable, you know, like I said, albumin, you'll, you'll have a reference range, and almost everyone gets a reference range, and they'll say, oh, I'm in the reference range. I'm good. But even within the reference range, that's not what's optimal. That just tells you you're in, in with, within the normal range for the population, but it doesn't tell you should it be high, should it be low. So my next book is going to focus on basically these standard blood test variables that you get when you go to the doctor at a yearly checkup, how they change with age and what's optimal, and how I use diet and exercise and sometimes supplementation to optimize these variables. So for people that are chomping at the bit to get that information, I basically use my blog to chip away at each of the variables. So I probably have at least 20 different articles on, on these blood tests, uh, individual blood test markers, and uh, how they change with age and how you can potentially uh, affect them with diet and exercise. So the, I use the blog as a short tool, and then I expand it I, in, in the book. That's basically how I developed the uh, microbial burden book. So Wonderful. Yeah, so. people can just go so to my website just, and just start picking yeah. off. They can just start picking off the blog posts one by one. It's free to check it out. So, And it's michaellusgarten.com. And, of course, we'll always .com. have it on our website, too, uh, and that's generationboldradio.com. So thank you so much. This has been a terrific um, eye-opener, which I knew it would be. Take care. Get out there, kids, and make it happen. I'm in a program.